Hello, everyone. I'm Gary Urbanowitz, your host for this Throwback FDNY podcast. Remember, you can listen to all the past episodes of Throwback FDNY by going to the website of the New York City Fire Museum at nycfiremuseum.org slash throwbackfdny and choosing the digital platform you use for listening to podcasts. Each show has three segments going back in time about the FDNY and its history. Now, let's start this month's show. In this episode of Throwback FDNY, in 1924, the FDNY is presented with its official flag. In 1927, a spectacular fire at the Sherry Netherland Hotel lights up the night sky. And in 1942, Sidney Klein becomes a New York City firefighter. I've been asked many times about the FDNY flag. When was it introduced? What does it represent? And who designed it? Well, for a long time, I didn't know. I have never seen any information about it in any of the usual FDNY history books. But then I found a newspaper article in the July 26, 1924 issue of the Brooklyn Standard Union that explains it all. On that date, two flags were presented to the department by Honorary Deputy Chief William W. Cohen. It was done in an elaborate ceremony held at the parade grounds in Brooklyn. Many dignitaries were in attendance, including the commissioner and most of his senior staff, as well as Assistant Chiefs Smokey Joe Martin and Joseph Crawley. The article does not specifically say who designed the flags, but presumably Chief Cohen commissioned them. Apparently, designs were presented to Commissioner Thomas Drennan and Chief of Department John Kenlin, and this was the one they selected. It consists of three red and two white alternating horizontal stripes representing the five boroughs of New York City. A canton in the upper left corner displays an FDNY Maltese cross with the seal of the city in the center on a field of red. I suppose that design intentionally copied that of the New York City Police Department, who adopted an official flag in 1919. Theirs has five horizontal bars of alternating green and white, also representing the five boroughs. But in the canton on the upper left are 24 white stars on a field of deep blue. The stars represent the 24 cities, towns, and villages that were consolidated to form the greater city of New York in 1898. Ironically, six months after this presentation, Chief Crawley died as the result of injuries sustained in the line of duty. His casket was draped with one of these new flags. And a bit about the benefactor of the department flag. William Cohen was appointed as an honorary battalion chief in 1919 and was promoted to deputy chief in 1921. He is the founder of the FDNY Honor Emergency Fund. He was appointed to chair the department's athletic committee and coordinated the famous baseball games between the FDNY and the Chicago Fire Department, as well as those between the FDNY and NYPD. Mayor Highland appointed him chairman of the mayor's committee on municipal athletic activities. Professionally, Cohen was a member of the New York Stock Exchange and the director of the Cotton Exchange. He was elected to the House of Representatives for the 70th Congress of 1927 to 1929 from New York's 17th Congressional District. Another flag was presented to the FDNY on November 12, 1887. It is actually more of a banner than a flag. 
It is currently in the collection of and on display at the New York City Fire Museum, directly above the house watch desk. So, from the first two flags presented in 1924 until today, this symbol embodies the history and traditions of the FDNY at every event, happy and sad, and has endured the test of time for nearly 100 years. Hello, everyone. I'm Jennifer Brown, the Executive Director of the New York City Fire Museum. Thank you for listening to our Throwback FDNY podcast. We invite you to become a member of our wonderful cultural institution in Lower Manhattan. We preserve the history of the fire department in New York City, educate the public on fire and life safety, and celebrate the wonderful traditions of the FDNY. To learn more about our membership program and the perks it offers, go to nycfiremuseum.org. In previous episodes, we've talked about fires of historic significance that become known by a name. In this episode, I would like to talk about one such event, the Sherry Netherland Fire. The Sherry Netherland Hotel was, and still is, an apartment hotel, with full-time residents as well as transient guests. It stands at the northeast corner of 5th Avenue and 59th Street. In 1926, Construction began on the site of the old New Netherland Hotel, owned by William Waldorf Astor, a name that is synonymous with exclusive hotels in New York City. The building has 38 stories, with an additional three in a cupola, for a total building height of 560 feet. On the night of April 12, 1927, a civilian notified a police officer that there were flames emanating from the upper floors of the Sherry Netherland. The officer, Patrolman Thomas Byrne, pulled box 942 at the corner of 5th Avenue and East 60th Street. The first arriving units were engines 23, 39, and 8, and hook and ladders 16 and 2, along with Battalion 8 Chief James Ferris. Their first impression was of the height at which the fire was blazing, at least 25 stories up. The building itself was built to be fireproof, but the scaffolding encompassing the upper floors, as well as two construction hoists, were all made of wood. It was these combustible structures that were ablaze. Engine 23 was ordered to connect to the standpipe system, but they found that the standpipe system was yet to be fully completed. Therefore, it was useless. There was a water tank on the roof, the type so ubiquitous in New York, but it was still empty. Again, useless. And to make matters worse, the elevators were not yet working. It became clear rather quickly that this was going to be a very difficult job. The flames engulfed the upper stories of the tower, creating a torch, giving off a glow that could be seen on Long Island and in New Jersey. This fire drew an enormous crowd of onlookers, as many as 100,000 according to some estimates. A strong south wind that was fanning these flames and increasing the drama also caused much of the burning wood to break free and land on other structures in the area. It was said that there were at least 100 other fires of varying degrees that had to be extinguished by the members. The battle raged past midnight and resulted in the transmission of five alarms. 41 pieces of apparatus, 
including high-pressure engines and a water tower, the chief of department, and seven other chief officers, including Assistant Chief Smokey Joe Martin, were on scene. The fire was declared under control by Chief Kenlin at 2 a.m. and was fully extinguished three hours after that, a total of nine hours of work. The cause of the fire was determined to be the incomplete extinguishment of a tinsmith's charcoal furnace igniting a pile of tarpaulins. Beyond how much attention this fire got because of that unusual image that you can imagine in your mind's eye of the towering inferno, the important outcome was an evaluation of what could be done to avoid challenges like this in any of the other skyscrapers in the city. City codes were changed to address the need for our working standpipe system in buildings and the construction and the prohibition of scaffolding and hoist towers being made of combustible materials. Even though this fire occurred nearly 100 years ago, the lack of a working standpipe system in the Deutsche Bank building contributed to the deaths of firefighters Robert Padilla of Engine 24 and Joseph Graffinino of Ladder Company 5 in 2007. Fires such as these always result in scrutiny by the FDNY on many levels, whether to change codes and laws, to evaluate how to better combat them, or how to improve firefighter safety. We always learn, and we never forget. Hi again, it's Jennifer Brown, the Executive Director of the New York City Fire Museum. The Fire Museum's gift shop offers a large selection of official FDNY memorabilia, including shirts, hats, and souvenirs, and a large selection of books about the FDNY and the history of fire service. For your junior firefighters, the gift shop features children's firefighter gear, books, and toys. The gift shop is available year-round during the museum's opening hours, Wednesday through Sunday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., or online at nycfiremuseum.org. Sidney Klein was born in Brooklyn in 1916. He attended Brooklyn College to study chemistry, but due to the harsh economy of the times, he dropped out and took a job as a radio announcer. Later, to secure a better life for his wife and newly born daughter, he became a New York City firefighter appointed on July 1st, 1942. He was assigned to Engine Company 253 in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, and remained there until being detailed to headquarters in August of 1951 as aide to Commissioner Jacob Grummet, the department's first Jewish commissioner. At the time, Klein was president of the department's Jewish affinity organization, the Nair Talmud Association. In 1958, he was promoted to lieutenant and was assigned to Engine 236 in the East New York section of Brooklyn. During his time as an officer, he bounced around a bit, with stints in the Bureau of Fire Prevention, the 41st Battalion, and Engine Company 225. He went back to Engine 236, where he remained for the rest of his career. On December 16, 1960, when two airplanes collided over the Atlantic Ocean, with one crashing in the Park Slope neighborhood of Brooklyn and the other in a field in Staten Island, Lieutenant Klein responded to the Brooklyn scene voluntarily from off-duty. For this, he earned a service rating B recognition, which does not come with a medal, but does favorably impact a member's service record. If you want to learn more about that historic crash and fire, go back and listen to our January 2021 episode. While still a firefighter, Klein wrote several articles for WNYF. 
The first reported on a rather unusual response by the FDNY, including regular and auxiliary members and apparatus, to Danbury, Connecticut, after that town was hit by devastating rains and flooding in 1955. In 1959, he chronicled Commissioner Kavanaugh's concept of creating a fire warden program in commercial establishments in the city. Klein was a very active member of the FDNY Neritomid Association, founded by Rabbi Edward Lisman in 1926. In 1949, like today, many children went off to summer sleepaway camp. Their Neritomid firefighters came up with the idea of setting up their own camp, not only for their children, but to be a remote getaway from the city for the entire family. Sid Klein became the chairman of a committee to look into this idea and to scout out possible properties in rural areas of upstate New York, Connecticut, and New Jersey. Eventually, a property was found, purchased, and developed in Danbury, Connecticut. They named it Lake Wabika. Klein continued to chair and oversee the project. A plaque placed by the original committee commemorates the founders of this unique oasis. Today, it is a diverse, gated condominium community but the streets still bear their original names, each of which were the names of children of the Neritomid Committee. Sid Klein named the street after his daughter, Carol, who made trips to the new bungalow colony. At the time, it was spelled just like the then 12-year-old spelled it, C-A-R-O-L. But in 1958, having her first successful musical recording at the age of 16, she began spelling her name with an E on the end, and changed her last name from Klein to King. That's right, 10-time award-winning singer-songwriter Carol King is the daughter of the late Lieutenant Sidney Klein of FDNY Engine Company 236. And now it's time for our throwback FDNY trivia segment. In each new episode of our podcast, we like to test your knowledge of the department by asking a question about a fact from our previous show. Here's this month's. Who was the FDNY's first official photographer? The answer can be found in our last episode. And remember, you can listen to that and all of our previous episodes by going to nycfiremuseum.org slash throwbackfdny. The Throwback FDNY podcast is brought to you by the New York City Fire Museum, the official museum of the FDNY, with help from the FDNY and the FDNY Foundation, the official philanthropic organization of the department. I'm Gary Urbanowitz. I'll leave you with this important safety tip. If you leave a building during a fire, close all the doors as you exit. This will help contain the fire. If doors are left open, the flames can spread and smoke can travel very quickly, putting people at risk. We could all do our part to be a partner with the fire department by promoting fire safety. Until next time, thank you and stay safe.